for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor Program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor Program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD and at WFMD.com. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for uh, being with us. I hope your weekend's going well. Uh, you can uh, obviously catch us right here on the dial at 930, also at WFMD.com. And you can go to the iTunes uh, store and look up your financial editor and get yourself a uh, a podcast out of that if you want to re-listen or share. Really good program for you today. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Got some top stories, got some earnings data, some economic data. And then joining me will be uh, uh, former Department of Homeland Security Office of the General Counsel, uh, Mr. Mike Howe, where he was the chief legal point of contact for the department's 3,000 lawyer office for all congressional oversight and investigations that concern any of the department's headquarters or component offices. Uh, this guy is, he's been involved in the past in security, national security investigations into the various Obama administration controversies, including, uh, security failures at the U.S. Secret Service, corruption at the Department of Homeland Security's office of the Inspector General, which, by the way, resulted in the resignation uh, resignations of two acting inspector generals on separate occasions, um, as well as handling uh, of some of the overseas terrorism incidents that we know about that went so poorly. He's a graduate of Duke University and Emory Law School, and he's going to be joining us in just a little bit. What are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about the executive actions that were signed this week. What do they mean immediately? What do they mean intermediate and long-term to you, your family, the economy, the financial markets, and the business community? That's all coming up. Uh, some of the top stories and following up from last week, uh, Twitter shares continue to have problems. They slid even more um, as uh, people were saying, you know, Okay, look, uh, President Trump was permanently, his account was permanently suspended. Uh, now we've got leaked video from not only the uh, CEO and the founder, Jack Dorsey, but also uh, by a person named Vijaya Gade. And um, she's on video as well saying that they're going to uh, be permanently suspending other accounts just because they don't agree with what people are saying or what they want to uh, share back and forth. So we're going to see what happens with that. You've already seen a mass exodus of people leaving Twitter, myself included. Um, and there's a problem because there's not a, you know, Parler was also uh, censored and shut down. Um, so you don't have that alternative. But we're seeing the same thing on Facebook. So there's a, uh, an app out there called Me We, and it's centered around uh, data privacy it's had a surge in downloads in recent weeks as these big technology companies crack down on user content and discrimination. So the app on Thursday, the last time I checked, it was sitting at number 14 on social media apps at the App Store. And it was number 13 among all free apps on Google Play after several days of just skyrocketing downloads. So... Um, you know, basically, people are looking for that alternative to Facebook, Twitter, and others. And MeWe is, I think, just that uh, perfect bowl of porridge, if you will, 
Um, they're calling themselves the anti-Facebook uh, app and platform. They uh, added two and a half million new users last week. Um, they about half of their total users are outside of the United States of America. So it's not just here. It's it's everywhere around the world where people are being censored and silenced and discriminated against. So um, it's it's great to see that, you know, their spokesperson coming out and saying, look, people all over the world are leaving Facebook and Twitter in droves because they're fed up with relentless privacy violations, their surveillance capitalism, the political bias, the targeting, the news feed manipulation by these companies. And they're right. I mean, that spokesman was spot on. That's what they're doing. And uh, that's why big tech has become so dangerous and uh, just so uh, overbearing for sure. And, uh, you know, something that really makes you wonder just this past week at the inauguration, we saw Google and Amazon and Microsoft and Comcast and others donating to the inaugural committee. Um, and then you look at, uh, you know, also, of course, some of the um, uh, organized labor, like the United Food and Commercial Workers and United Association of Plumbers and Fitters. But um, this is really interesting because what you're seeing is a lot of these big tech employees, they have landed top positions on the Biden transition team and on the permanent team. Uh, and into this uh, this uh, next phase, ne- next uh, administration. And it's just perfectly clear that Silicon Valley and these Democratic politicians are working hand in hand. I mean, you, all you have to do is just look and see what's going on with these uh, appointments and, you know, these jobs that are being divvied out. So, um, you know, really, all, this is not new. Um, and, and like. Janet Yellen this week, for example, you know, she's Biden's nominee to lead the Treasury Department as a secretary. And um, if you've listened to this program, whether it's for over 23 years as I've been doing it, or at least during um, the Obama era, you heard me talk about her when she was uh, chair of the Federal Reserve. And as she as uh, the longer she was there, the more transparent she was and, and like perfect this week. You heard her talk about the $1.9 trillion uh, coronavirus, uh, what they call relief bill, uh, and she was urging lawmakers to act big to compact, uh, combat excuse me, the economic fallout from the virus. And she said, more must be done. That's scary. That is so scary. And she's talking about without further action, we haven't even gotten this one shaken out yet and all the trash that's in it to try to get rid of it. And she's already talking about more further action because we risk a longer, more painful recession and long-term scarring of the economy. So she believes the benefits far outweigh the cost. She doesn't have to worry about it. And she should be worrying about everybody else and their kids and grandkids and great-grandkids that are saddled with all this debt. But, yes, she wants to go big. More must be done. So... Um, you know, like I said, she's an Obama carryover. Um, she gave no inclination as to what her meetings were like with and her discussions were like with him. And that's probably because he knew nothing about business or economics. Um, and her comments included income equality. When she was winding down at the Federal Reserve, you know, that's impossible, right? 
it's impossible for everybody to have the same income. That is the dumbest term, and yet people just nod their head. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, it's stupid. That that shouldn't, don't do that. Make sure, I know this, you know, the folks that listen to the program are smarter than the average bear, but make sure, you know, be be on guard for this stuff that they talk about with income equality. Um, you know, you can't have everybody making the same amount of money unless you're in a communist country where the taxi driver and the guy on the corner playing the guitar and the bus boy, you know, they all get whatever, they're five bucks a week. If you want to go that way, there's plenty of countries already out there. But hopefully, you know, real Americans will buy into that for sure. We um, had some earnings this week from some big names, and it was interesting how the virus is impacting uh, some companies so differently than others. I'll give you an example. Procter & Gamble, and that's a Dow component, one of the 30 in the Dow. And uh, they actually raised their full-year sales forecast for a second time this year. You know why? Because they make a lot of cleaning products. And they were saying, look, Americans are cleaning and sanitizing 30% more than before the virus made its way into uh, our country. Dishwasher cycles were run 15% more. Air freshener sprayed 20% more. In-home paper towel usage was up 15%. There's your beneficiary, the people that are making all those cleaning products like uh, P&G. Also, United Healthcare reported higher than expected fourth quarter profits. Little scary though because the reason uh, they incurred lower healthcare costs because people avoided going to the doctors and to hospitals because they were afraid of contracting the vir- the, the uh, virus. Elective medical procedures were put up. This is scary. Like I said, because people weren't getting screened, they weren't getting their checkups, they weren't, you know, making sure that they were maintaining the health that they had been before the virus. And, uh, you know, okay, on the business side, United Health makes money. If you're a shareholder, great. You benefit from that. On the human side, it's a it's a red flag because a lot of people that should have been treated and diagnosed for certain things that didn't happen. And we're hearing all those terrible um stories about that so another uh, industry that's been you know decimated of course is the airline industry we heard from united airlines they reported a fourth quarter uh loss it was their straight a fourth straight loss um when it came to quarterly numbers uh you know this virus just continues to upend the travel industry um, now you've got United saying, look, we need to cut another $2 billion of annual cost as we try to figure out uh, a recovery plan that goes into 2023. And um, so they're trying to be optimistic, saying, OK, if we get some of these viruses and people get the virus shot, then maybe they'll travel more and that could help us. But they know that's not a sure thing. And if it is something that happens, it'll probably be um, later this year, of course. But, um, yeah, they lost $2.1 billion in the quarter. The year before, in the same quarter, they made $676 million. So you can just look at those numbers. And, and you know, the person down the street that has a lemonade stand, same thing, just decimating so many of these big, medium, small companies. I mean, United Airlines was burning an average of $33 million per day per day 
in the fourth quarter. So uh, it's just a mess. Another beneficiary, Union Pacific. Uh, you probably recognize that name, one of the largest U.S. freight railroad operators. They reported better than expected quarterly profit. You had higher shipping volumes of uh, grains and refrigerated food and drinks and retail goods. Um, and they expect some decent growth this year. So, you know, they're kind of in a sweet spot, if you will. And then um, a couple of the big names uh, in technology came out swinging. IBM, International Business Machines, they actually missed Wall Street's estimates for quarterly revenue. Um, and, you know, there's a, a lot going on at IBM as far as what they're doing and, and their leadership and things of that nature. You're talking about a company that's 109 years old um, and is a behemoth. So it's very, very hard for it to be reactive, uh, you know, and, and they can't do things quickly often. So... Um, they're going to be breaking into two public companies. The namesake firm uh, is going to focus on what they call the hybrid cloud business, where they see a trillion-dollar market opportunity. Um, so they're going to be watched very closely. I wish them all the best, you know, best luck to, uh, to, to make those changes and that they go in the right direction. Intel forecast uh, revenue and profit above Wall Street expectations. Um, the reason for that uh they continue to benefit from high demand for laptops and PCs that have powered the shift, basically, to so many people not only working but also playing from home. So, you know, the chief financial officer came out and said clients are opting for shorter duration deals, which is impacting their average deal revenue size. Um, and, again, they're trying to change with uh, – the, the wind, the direction, the tide, whatever you want to call it, because of how the virus has impacted uh, their business and then their home side business and uh, what the demands are there. You know, I said last week that we were um, it was the last week to get the uh, current complimentary download. I was wrong. Um, the new one. Uh, wasn't completed and we didn't get it up on the, uh, the website yet. So that'll be next week. So if you do want, you can go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and get that complimentary download. Are you paying too much in taxes in retirement? Uh, you just, it's right on the home page. You just click that button. You get an instant download, uh, email and, uh, then you can read it, uh, on your email or you can print it off and, you know, make, uh, notes and, and questions. And uh, that way it'll be uh, most useful to you and, and helpful because that's why we do it. So on the other side, we'll do uh, a little bit of uh, economic news. And then coming up, uh, Mr. Mike Howe, who, uh, again, was Department of Homeland Security Office of the General Counsel. This guy is uh, he's a pit bull when it comes to investigating bad stuff, bad people, bad policies. And um, we're going to be talking about all these new um, executive orders. And what they're going to do to people immediately and to businesses and the economy and the financial markets, families, immediate impact, intermediate and long term. And that's coming. Strong, proud and community oriented. 930 WFMD.
used to be cool. The scars on my knuckles match the scuffs on these cowboy boots. And there's a whole lot more like me. How about you? Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also you can go to the uh, iTunes store and download uh, the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast. Help yourself there. As far as economic data this week, um, some good, some bad. You know, it was really sad to see the number of Americans filing for first-time unemployment benefits remain so elevated the Labor Department showed that 900,000 Americans filed first-time jobless claims uh, last week. So um, it's it's really, really tough, like I said, to see that. You know, you've got many more Americans on top of that are receiving jobless claims from two federal programs that Congress established with the passage of the CARES Act back in March. Um, so there's a whole lot of people out of work and... Um, you know, with businesses being shut down and with the virus and, um, you know, the, the the consumer not being able to live their life in a normal way, uh, you're going to see these job losses uh, around for a while, unfortunately. Both housing, housing starts and building permits uh, rose to the highest level we've seen since back in 2006. That just goes to show you how... Um, Strong the housing sector is. So, uh, permits were up four and a half percent, uh, in December. You've got housing starts up 5.8 percent. So that was a, a real nice number. And the, uh, chief economist at the National Association of Realtors, Lawrence Young, said that the December data means the worst of the housing shortage could soon come to an end. I thought that was interesting. Um, you've got these home builders that are rightly uh, favoring these single-family units over multifamily condos and apartments. And he was saying that uh, that's in light of the virus and work-from-home flexibility, have shown a preference for larger-sized homes. So people are getting out of the city and, the you know, even the suburbs. Plus, they want to flee these poorly run cities and towns because of violence and crime and uh, foolish policies, mismanagement. So that's obvious, too. Um, and then you look at uh, home builder confidence, even though you have such a strong market, which, by the way, you know, existing home sales were up yesterday, too. It was a pretty nice number. But the one that got me was the home builder confidence for this month. It actually slipped a little bit. And that was because... Um, these builders, they're doing the best they can, and, you know, they do a great job, most of them. Uh, but they're dealing with expensive lumber and, um, y- you know, other material costs. They've got a lack of affordable lots. Land out there is just skyrocketing in cost. They have problems with labor shortages, even though so many people, you know, are out of business. They can't get the quality people they need. There's these delayed delivery times, and all that is putting pressure, uh, upward pressure, on the price of uh, these these homes. So uh, it's a great market, you know, especially for the seller, and um, it, it's it's one of those things that the 
the affordability is becoming more and more out of reach. Even with these record low interest rates, the affordability is it's a big issue. So um, it's one of those things where I, I think something's going to have to give. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be. Interest rates, that shouldn't be an issue because, you know, all these people, economists, and especially with the new people coming into government are talking about keeping interest rates low for up to 2023. So that's there's nothing new there to really see at this point, at least. Um, so I'm not sure what it's going to be that, that really changes this market. Um, right now, it's super hot. Definitely seller's market, and um, with interest rates low, it's helpful, but, you know, it's still some of these prices are just putting things out of reach for folks. So uh, we'll continue to, to monitor it. I'm glad that it's such a strong sector. Um, it's a little scary when you hear about people leaving, uh, especially these metropolitan areas and, and other areas that, again, were poorly run, and one of the reasons they're getting out is because of some of the things I mentioned. But they're, um, th- they really don't have many scruples because they take their mentality, their voting mentality with them. We've seen that in, you know, in this county, down in, you know, Howard County. It's just, it's been a, a really unfortunate thing, uh, with, you know, how these, these votes, uh, are cast because I guess they forget that's what they were running from. Other people. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also you can go to the iTunes store and uh, get the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast. Uh, thanks for everybody that's uh, with us today. I appreciate it. I uh, hope your weekend's going well. And um, welcome to the program. If you've been with us since the beginning when I started back in 1997, um, glad to have you. Thank you for your loyalty. And anywhere in between, up to if this is your first time. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the program that, you know, we really had some good stuff to talk about today. Obviously, it's been a very crazy uh, past couple weeks. And um, I was I was going through my email this week, and I saw this really good piece written by my guest this morning, Mr. Mike Howe, um, who uh, is a senior advisor of the executive branch relations at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he joined the Heritage Foundation back in 2018 after he left the Department of Homeland Security Office of the General Counsel, where he was the chief legal point of contact for some 3,000 lawyers uh, for all congressional oversight and investigations. And um, also, you know, he was involved back in the day in various uh, uh, 
investigations in the Obama administration and all the controversies there, including security failures at the U.S. Secret Service, corruption at the Department of Homeland Security's Office of the Inspector General, which, by the way, resulted in the resignations of two acting inspector generals on two separate occasions, um, and also uh, the handling of overseas terrorism incidents. He's a graduate of Duke University and Emory Law School. Good morning, Mr. Powell. How are you? Hey, doing great. Thank you so much for having me in that kind introduction. Yes, sir. Thanks. So uh, let's get after it. Um, you know, one of the things that we all saw this week, and I was telling our listeners earlier that we were going to talk about, is uh, these uh, executive uh, actions that are being taken by the new administration. Um, and you go over that so well in your piece that you wrote on the 20th. Um, let's start with uh, what we're talking about as far as the environment goes with the Paris Climate Accord. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the one overarching theme of what uh, President Biden has done in his first couple of days in office is all of his actions are pretty much tailored towards either non-Americans or global institutions. So with the Paris Climate Accord, um, he's re-signing up for it. Keep in mind, it should be a treaty. If you want to bind a country to international agreements, you should go through the treaty process. But since that requires the Senate approving it, they won't do it that way because the Senate would absolutely reject it. And they reject it because it is decimating American jobs. I think 400,000 is our projection. Our, one of our economists, Nick Loris, arrived at that number after, after crunching all the details. And also an average cost to families of, of 20,000. And so what do we get for that? Well, not very much. We're the ones who suffer. China, China makes out like a bandit. Other developing nations do as well. Uh, we're essentially binding ourselves to harsher terms than anyone else. And anyone who's been paying attention to the international affairs knows China doesn't have a great record of living up to any of their obligations. So it's what I like to call a virtue signaling uh, thing to do. You know, really tough on American industry, and you know, with the stroke of a pen, putting a lot of people out of jobs. Similarly, they're getting rid of the Keystone Pipeline. I think that's. 40,000 jobs out of the window. I can't find an example of any other president on the first couple of days has already lost more jobs. Yeah, exactly. I think it was. I mean, it, it, it was expected, unfortunately, but it's still hard to actually see somebody writing that, uh, you know, signing that uh, into into effect. So uh, it was I know it was hard for me to watch. And like you said, with the pipeline and then with the other uh, not only jobs, but you mentioned a family of four could cost uh, twenty thousand dollars or more of income loss, uh, and two and a half trillion to our GDP is devastating. I mean, I, I didn't think we were going to have to worry about that, but obviously we do. Um, one of the other things that you uh, touched on was the national security for political correctness, uh, where these travel restrictions that President Trump and his administration had put in place. So, can you? Just give the listeners a little bit of an overview of what it was versus what it's going to be. Sure. So right when President Trump came into office, one of his first actions was this travel ban. It instantly was turned by hysterical media as a Muslim ban, but it was never a Muslim ban. It uh, basically said that countries who have terrorism problems, countries that cannot share information so we know who's coming in and they're good, uh, they, they need to step up their game or they can't have, you know, travel entry into the U.S. It applied to hosts of countries, uh, you know, Muslim and non-Muslim majority countries alike. I mean, even North Korea was on the list. There's not a lot of Muslims in North Korea. Nonetheless, uh, the media ran with it as a Muslim ban and stoked enough outrage and, and fear and anger about it 
that it became this massive political issue. And so uh, over the four years where it, it was in effect under Trump, it kept us safe. We hadn't had any major incidents of people traveling and, you know, committing attacks of terrorism. Uh, so it worked. But nonetheless, President Biden on, on day one gets rid of it. And so I don't know why you get rid of something that kept us safe. Well, it's trading national security for political correctness, much like all the other actions on the immigration front. Yeah, and, you know, not only is it these uh, uh, the uh, travel restrictions, like you said, for various countries where they don't have a handle on things and they can't share uh, information and maybe the uh, background and vetting wasn't done as thoroughly as it should have been. It's not up to our standards, which obviously we don't want those kind of people around. But even before Penn went to paper on this stuff, you saw a whole new caravan uh, taking form down, you know, below our southern border, headed our way. And is it just because they really believe they're just going to be able to, you know, crash the gate to 198, not have any problems? No, it, it absolutely is. And we don't need to, to guess on that or, you know, analyze it too much because they're saying that's why they're coming. A great reporter named Tom Benchman out of the, you know, the Center for Immigration Studies reported yesterday they spoke to the people in the caravan, and they're saying that that's why they're coming. We know it. We've seen this playbook before. Whatever anyone in the U.S. declares that there's going to be an amnesty, people rush to the border. It happened when, you know, DACA was contemplated and then carried out when Obama was president and Biden was vice president. There's a massive surge. And so we're going to see the same thing. And uh, they're going to have a, the administration's going to have a tough problem on their hand because on, on one hand, they're trying to get Congress to pass the most radical immigration bill in United States history that would grant amnesty, you know, not removing and putting them on path to citizenship and letting them vote uh, for well over 10 million people. And so they're asking Congress to do this, and it's going to be occurring on a backdrop of the border being rushed. And, and then you got the actions on the border that the administration's taken where they're not only stopping any building a new wall, but they want to tear down wall. Uh, the, the nominee for the Secretary of Homeland Security said that if his lawyers let him do it, he'll do it. And, and so that, and also look at the Remain in Mexico program. This is what the Trump administration rolled out a couple of years ago, where it said if you want to apply for asylum into the U.S., you got to have your case heard as you wait in Mexico. We're not just going to do what you know President Obama did, where we release you into the interior, and then you know you don't even have to show up for your hearing because you'll just enter the illegal population and not be removed. Um, so President Biden's getting rid of that Remain in Mexico program. So anyone who's coming to the border to claim asylum that they get in, you know, they they can just stay while their case proceeds. And then what happens with these cases is the vast majority of them are approved. And actually, numbers like nine out of ten aren't approved, and you know that's because some of them lack merit. Some of them are just absolutely fraudulent, and, and that's because to be to be eligible for this kind of relief, it's a humanitarian program. It can't just be you're leaving your country to come to the U.S. because you want to, you know, have a better economic outlook. It has to be because you were specifically in, in fear of persecution, legitimate persecution, based on your membership and like a. Uh, a religious group, a political group, et cetera. Kind of the, the genesis of all this is designed after World War II when, uh, you know, the, the Jewish people who were persecuted need to figure out a, a place to go. And so that's the framework in which we kind of have our humanitarian aid set up. you got to be legitimately in danger, not just wanting to, to take a job. 
Yeah, and it's not just that, that, you know, the people want to come and, you know, maybe work or maybe get free stuff or get on, you know, some of our uh, social welfare plans. But people forget about what else comes through that border in a mad rush as far as criminals and very, you know, violent people and drugs and paraphernalia and the stuff that's, you know, killing so many of uh, the younger um, Americans because of overdoses. And I don't understand why they don't think the whole thing through, but they just see it as whatever the, you know, the picture of a cage or whatever it might be. But I'll go back a little bit to a point you made. I, I I've never heard something as stupid as tearing down an existing uh, piece of construction that's doing its job. And and along with that, the morale and just the uh, the support that, uh, you know, the Border Patrol and others in that profession have had for the last four years, I bet you they're probably hanging their heads pretty low right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a president who rode into power on the wave of the far left who has been calling immigration customs enforcement basically, you know, the worst of the worst. You got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying that we have concentration camps, likening them to Nazis. So President Biden, he's telling ICE, you can't support anyone for 100 days. He's telling the, the border folks, we're going to tear down the wall and stop building the wall. This is something that, by the way, the border folks have asked for for years. It is what the law enforcement experts want. And so apart from just taking sides with people calling these, these folks Nazis, he's actually telling them that their jobs are, are so evil they can't do it for 100 days. And so morale is going to go in the tank for these folks who are, frankly, you know, some of the best amongst us as Americans. These are people who put their lives on the line. They deeply love this country. I mean, it was the greatest honor to have worked you know, with and around these folks over over the years, and uh, I, I truly feel sorry for him. It's, it's an attack on law enforcement, which is just part and parcel to the overall left agenda. Yeah, amen to that. I'm with you 100%. Uh, we're going to squeeze in a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Mike Howe uh, and um, talk more about these executive uh, orders that were signed this week, what they mean now, what they're going to mean, you know, intermediate and long-term to families and individuals and businesses, so stay tuned. These are sad times world gone mad times Men doing bad times Lord, what is this world? This is welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and also uh, iTunes store. You can get it as a podcast. And we uh, really appreciate everybody uh, listening week in, week out. And I know we've got listeners around the country uh, who have moved out of the mid-Atlantic area. So thank you so much for you know, supporting us and tuning in and making sure that you're in the know, right? Because that's what we do here. Anybody that has listened to the programs, we're getting all this stuff out there. We've got intelligent, logical, uh, thoughtful people like my guest this morning, Mr. Mike Howe, 
uh, who know what they're talking about. You know, it's not uh, political uh, talking points. It's actually, you know, what's being done. And then, of course, what's the effect of what's being done because it's so important. Uh, so, Mr. Mike Howe, as I mentioned, my guest this morning um, is at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, he's uh, an advisor for executive branch relations there. Prior to that, he was Department of Homeland Security Office of the General Counsel, where he was the chief legal point of contacts for about 3,000 lawyers. Um, and, uh, you know, he was also on the Hill from 03 to 17. And um, has really, you know, been in the mix. Uh, he, while on the Hill, he led national security investigations into various Obama administration controversies, including security failure, failures at the uh, U.S. Secret Service. Remember that corruption at the Department of Homeland Security's Office of the Inspector General, which resulted in two acting inspector generals um, resigning. And also handling of overseas terrorism incidents. You know, we remember all these things, and and he was part of it. So he wrote a real nice piece. If you want to see it, go to heritage.org, uh, and um, you'll just look up Mike Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L, and uh, you'll be able to find that piece and a lot of other really good stuff. You know, uh, myself, I mean, I rely on uh, Heritage and many other organizations, and then because I do, I'm exposed to it, and I get to invite them on to uh, to share with you in case uh, you're not involved in that. Which, by the way, I would encourage you to be because you're better off when you uh, really know what's going on. So, um, so Mike, you know, one of the other things uh, as we finish up on this side is, uh, besides the illegals, is um, you've got this um, the student loan forgiveness plan uh, that's being talked about. Um, you know, you mentioned AOC a little while ago. Um, you know, she's talking for, you know, don't just delay it. Just go ahead and forgive it all. So there's this pressure for these trillions of dollars to be wiped off the slate. Um, what do you think is going to happen there? Well, I, I think it's important to understand the long game of what they're doing. So the first step out of the gate is to pause student loan payments and not let interest accrue for, you know, the better part of this year. I think it goes till September, if, if I'm right. May have to check me on that. But this is to buy time for the big kahuna. This is what the far left wants is absolute loan forgiveness. And so they bought themselves, you know, basically a year, and they can always extend it, to try and push this through on the hill. I mean, there's varying proposals on the left as to what they want to do. And, you know, unfortunately, the left controls the Congress and the Senate and the presidency now so they can be able to get some done, and especially if they remove the filibuster. But, you know, you have on AOC and Elizabeth Warren on one side saying forgive them all. You have some others saying forgive 50K. You have, you know, some saying means tested it. But regardless, there's going to be a, a big, significant push. Uh, what this does is it punishes those people who made, you know, different educational choices center into, you know, a, a, a non-liberal artsy type, you know, work environment. You know, your your plumbers, your all sorts of blue-collar workers who have, you know, made great life choices and are doing well for themselves. Well, now they're going to have to pay for that, you know, University of Cal Berkeley student who has $200,000 plus in student loans because they got a gender studies and critical race theory degree. And, and all, what this does is, it, it, it doesn't address the root cause of the problem. The root cause of the problem is the federal government shouldn't be in this federal loan business because when they do it and guarantee loans to everyone, no matter what they're going to school for, it, it, it removes any incentive on the part of schools 
to tailor their curriculums towards, you know, actually job prospects for the, you know, students. Instead, what these schools are doing are pushing a far-left indoctrination agenda. And, and they're doing it cost-free because the government's paying the bills. And these, these radical professors and administrators are getting rich off it. What we need to do is get it out, the, the federal student loans out of the game, let the market take over a little bit, and have, you know, better opportunities for our students. It's better for our students if we set them up for jobs that are fulfilling and can actually pay the bills. Yeah, so, um, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want, but, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, you went to Duke and then Emory Law School. So um, it probably is pretty hard to come out of a school like Duke these days and not be brainwashed or indoctrinated. And I only say that because I know a few people, and some of the things that come out of their mouth, it's just it's hard to believe that they came out of, you know, what was once, I think, a tremendous school in North Carolina. Yeah, no, I'm more than happy to. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply disappointed in the direction that Duke has taken over the last, you know, couple decades. Um, it, it, it's really tragic. I mean, I, I still keep in touch, you know, with, with what's happening down there. And it's, it's really sad how radical it's gotten. And, you know, this, the school itself has become an enforcement arm of the most radical wings of, of the, the students and, and the trend. I mean, the, the donor base and the leadership is as bad far left as you can get. And it's, it's a straight from their own land, you know. It's no place for a conservative. The, the intolerance is huge. Um, and it's really a, a dangerous place, you know, if, if, if you aren't in lockstep with the far left. They're, they're seeking to cancel uh, folks and, and scare students from voicing any opinion that, that doesn't fit the orthodoxy. I mean, it's just not, not a great place. And I'm really disappointed at the lack of leadership. I mean, it's had consequences in terms of actually Duke's rankings have been, you know, plummeting. We used to be a top five school, and it's, it's, it's going down, down, down because they're just doing this immense focus on the crazy stuff. I, I read the other day they're setting up a, a critical race theory uh, department, and I'm sure it will attract a lot of students to you. I mean, do you think this country's in need of, of more critical race theorists? Uh, I think we have a, a lot. What, what kind of jobs do those entail? It's, it's not where we should be going and it's disappointing yeah exactly like you said i mean i think the media does a great job of taking care of that whole industry uh on their own anyway and i do appreciate you sharing that and the only reason i mean because you had that direct exposure to duke but again i mean it's everywhere um our daughter our youngest you know she's in her first year and she actually had a class where the only reference material you could use Washington Post and New York Times. That's the, the oh. right. So, I mean, the, the professor actually said this is the only place that you go to really understand what we're talking about. So it's everywhere and it's it's really scary. And I've been saying for years because, you know, we have parents and grandparents that listen to this program. They have to know whether their kids in kindergarten or if they're in college, they better be tuned in as to what's really happening these days. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's crazy. It's happening at all levels. I mean, I'm, I'm here in Bethesda, Maryland. We got a, a daughter coming in about two weeks, and we're trying to look at, you know, the schools in the area. And it, it, you're seeing the, the pushing of these crazy curriculums. I mean, the 1619 project, and then also this, this transgender and sexual ideology that's being pushed on children. I mean, the last thing you want to do is, is put your child in a, in an environment where they're being pushed these, like, sexual teachings at such a young age or being taught what I essentially say is to hate their country and to be ashamed of their country through this 
1619 curriculum pushed by the New York Times, which basically frames everything in United States history as evil founders who just wanted to set up, you know, a, a terrible country to oppress people. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really scary stuff. And, um, you know, again, I'm thankful for, uh, you know, people like you and your organization and the other good ones out there that uh, really do dive into the, the truth. And it's not like this, you know, 1619 where it's a summary of essays and <laughs> just writing whatever you want. Not based on fact. Mike Howe, Senior Advisor, Executive Branch Relations at the Heritage Foundation. Again, go to heritage.org, and you can pull up his piece. It's great. It's talking about, uh, and it's a very short read, by the way, uh, talking about um, all of these executive actions that have been taking place. And there will be more. And uh, we'll circle back around with you, uh, Mike, and, um, you know, maybe get your input as to how things have changed later in 2021. Uh, you know, like I said, a little bit of an update. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. Thank you for, for what you do, and thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, God bless you and your wife uh, with this new baby coming. I hope it's everything you're expecting. I really appreciate that. We're excited. All right. Take care. Uh, that does it for us, folks. We're winding things up. Just want to remind everybody that you can um, listen to the business updates, uh, Morning News Express, 550, 650, 750 a.m. every weekday morning. Uh, when it's uh, myself and Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick, and um, I join those guys for just a brief period of time, uh, during those three calls, which are live, and we talk about what's going on in the world of business and finance and uh, different things out there. It's going to be another busy week this week with a lot of earnings coming our way. We'll see how these companies fared uh, during the uh, the fourth quarter. And um, with, again, all the restrictions and with all the changes and trying to uh, kind of uh, adapt on the fly, if you will. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of earnings coming our way. And then we'll be back here uh, next Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor. Um, it is actually going to be taking off the current uh, complimentary download we have for you. Are you paying too much in taxes in retirement? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's right on the home page. Just tap that button and you'll get that uh, download. It's an email. and That way you can uh, print it off and make notes and uh, highlight things, um, or you, know, you can just read it right on your email there. But I hope you find it helpful. That's, that's why it's there. And um, that does it for us. So enjoy the rest of your, uh, your weekend. I hope it's really good. And we'll talk to you on the Morning News Express and back here next Saturday. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.